0: Hello and welcome to our Tiny Rate Podcast. I'm Mira Chandan from FX Strategy, and I'm happy to note um, that we do have Jeb Barry on from the US Trade Strategy team. So clearly a lot's happened. In the US, we've had a substantial repricing uh, of terminal rates to 545 uh, uh, to 550. Uh, markets pricing in 25% chance uh, of a 50 basis point hike in March, that's you know far from trivial. And there's a lot going on outside the US as well, Um, we've had a repricing, not just of the Fed, but of DM central banks more broadly, including the ECB um, and growth momentum um, outside the US, um, China included. Um, is, is improving a fair bit. So clearly lots happened, a lot's coming up as well with US payrolls and CPI. We've also got the BOJ and ECB. So I think from a macro standpoint, it all feels rather uncomfortable because um, it feels like there's a lot of new information that's gonna come into focus in the next couple of weeks and probably help us clarify the narrative. So um, clearly US rates are central here. So let's let's start with Jay. Jay um, you did well with your duration call. You had been bearish. You then neutralized it. Um, what's, what's your response going forward uh, from here?
1: Yeah, thanks, Mira. We're, we're pretty neutral right now. And I think the risks have become a lot more balanced um, for a number of reasons. So I think when we went bearish in late January, early February, it was predicated on sort of three factors. The first is, and you've talked about Fed pricing, that where the markets were pricing the Fed um, terminally, but also the significant amount of easing that was priced in in the second half of 2023 were pretty inconsistent with our view that yes we see the economy decelerating and moving into negative growth territory by the end of the year but against the backdrop of labor markets that are only loosening mildly and inflation that's expected to remain well above the Fed's target that it would be tough for the Fed to actually be lowering rates in the second half second it seems that you know markets became very enamored with doing the fed on hold trade Um, first in December, and then once again in January, sort of culminating with Chair Powell's comments at the press conference. But from our perspective, it was just very early in the process to be done. All the work we've done around Fed tightening episodes indicates that, you know, the peak in rates is not reached until somewhere between, you you know, one to two months or one to three months prior to the last hike. And doing it in January when we think the Fed's being sort of closer to completion in May was one reason why we thought it was overdone. And then finally, there was a valuation element as well, where at the low in yields about a month ago, um, intermediate treasuries appeared sort of 40-ish basis points um, rich, yields too low in the context of how the markets were pricing Fed policy inflation and growth. So what's happened since then? Clearly, you know, as you've talked about it, we've swung the pendulum on the market's Fed pricing and markets are pricing in a terminal effective rate of close to 550, which would imply a top end of the range Somewhere around 560 um, by the late part of the summer. Second, you know, there's been a significant disinversion of the 2023 money market curve, and now we're pricing in only about 13 basis points of easing. Finally, um, you know, valuations are are much closer to fair than they have been for us in our valuation framework at any point since really the beginning of the year. So, against that backdrop, you know, a lot of the bearish risks that we had been sort of flagging. Um, back in late January, early February, have receded and feel like the risks are becoming sort of more balanced from here. And it's very interesting because we see that on the client side too. I think client positioning had turned somewhat more bearish and our, our treasury client survey turned reasonably net short into February. But you know, just this week, it's turned back to net flat with 70% of um, the investors in our survey um you know, responding neutral, which is relatively high and above average from a longer term perspective. So, you know, as we look ahead here, we're much more neutral because of of, of those reasons. Um, and certainly, I think, you know, many of those factors would indicate that the risks are more balanced. But, you know, perhaps the lone remaining risk on the ups on the other side is as you've talked about it, is that we've always been highly sensitive or we've the last few months been highly sensitive to what's happening with sort of global policy expectations given the global nature of this inflation increase. And to the extent that there's more hawkish activity elsewhere that could sort of continue to drag rates higher here.
0: Okay, so a lot more balanced risks. Um, I guess um, you know, in some sense, we're in a bit of a holding pattern until we get new information from this um, data in the next couple of weeks. So let's consider some scenarios around that. Um, I guess consensus is looking for around 200k on the um, headline payroll print. Um, the inflation print is further down the line, so we have very few sort of observations on consensus, but it's it's looking like it's around three-tenths. How would, you know, given, given that backdrop, um, how would you think about rates, uh, markets, and sort of uh, different scenarios of payrolls and, um, and inflation?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, you talk about consensus for employment next week, and I think our forecasts are very much in line with that consensus expectation. Um, I would think that if that's consensus, there should be very little market reaction overall. Um, But, you know, what would be notable to me is if you get 200K in payroll growth, the three-month moving average in employment growth prior to the sort of, you know, standout January report was something closer to 290K. So if you get a 200K number, it would be more indicative that labor markets are starting to slow somewhat. And I think if that's the case, then maybe you start to sort of price out some of the risk of a 50 basis point hike at the March meeting. As you said, there's about a one in four probability of 50 being priced into the markets right now. And I think markets are pricing that saying, you know, what if the January report was not a fluke, then there is a higher probability that the Fed could consider 50. But if we get a 200K type number, I think that would support the Fed continuing to go at a 25 basis point pace. And if that were to be realized, you know, given how markets are pricing policy over the next few meetings and terminally, it probably means the front end could sort of rally back some and the overall term structure um, would probably rally back some from where we are right now. I think that would sort of be an important point particularly because let's look at the backdrop of what Fed speakers have been saying recently. So certainly the, the bigger hawks on the committee, um, like Mester and Bullard and Kashkari, all seem to support a 50 basis point hike at the next meeting in less than two weeks, but um, or in about three weeks, excuse me. But um, they are the only ones sort of looking for a more aggressive move. And um, they were seemingly the only ones, as we can sort of discern from the minutes of the February meeting, so the bar seems pretty high to move back to a pace of 50 basis points when you've just down stepped to 25, particularly knowing that you're already in pretty restrictive territory. So I think that might give some pause to the front end in that sort of um, outcome. Turning the CPI, I, like you said, I think it's a bit early to know right now. And we see what listed consensus looks like. But you know, I think last month's data, while the overall core reading was very close to consensus expectations, it was sort of the underpinning that it was the non-goods, non-shelter pricing components that were on the margin firmer than sort of consensus expectations. So I think for rates to move, it's probably going to matter from you know where the core comes in relative to consensus, but also what those underlying details look like. And I think it'll really be somewhat conditional on the outcome we have um, with respect to payrolls next Friday.
0: Thanks, Jay. And, um, and what about when we're thinking about payrolls perhaps Perhaps a greater than a substantially larger than 200k uh, that consensus, and uh, and we are looking for our, as our base case. You know, what if it's something like 350 or 400? Is is that going to be a major game changer?
1: I I think it would be because then it would certainly give you the sense that while, you know, the January number was not repeated, that there might be something changing with the underlying trend in employment growth. And I think if you were to get a number you know, upwards of 300K, that would probably from here only raise the, the probability of a 50 being priced in for the March meeting and probably further raise the terminal rate as well, which in my mind would result in further bearish flattening of the curve here. So I think you know, it's pretty notable here that you look at what's happened over the last month to five weeks or so, we've made new highs with respect to how we're pricing the market implied terminal rate but long term yields have not fully kept up and yes 10 year yields are back trading at and above 4% for the first time since November but we're still 20 to 25 basis point off the yield highs i think is a recognition that you know growth is still sort of slowing i think you know you'd see a continuation of that theme in that case where you could sort of get further you know bearish flattening from here
0: okay um thanks for that so final question for me um you've done some more work around the debt ceiling and you updated the time around it um, do you just want to go over um, that and also you noted that it's not really showing up in market pricing that much. when do you actually anticipate it's going to start to affect um, the uh, the way that markets are um, thinking about this?
1: Yeah so uh, just a couple of weeks ago the economics team sort of revised their deficit forecast wider for fiscal year 23 from about 1.05 trillion to 1.41 trillion. And it was really a recognition that where we are fiscal year to date, it'd be pretty tough to sort of get to that original forecast, given where the deficit attracts for the first four months of the fiscal year. So with that, and that certainly reflects the higher likelihood that we'll exhaust all of the measures that Treasury has available um, earlier. Kind of the midpoint of that sort of estimate right now is the middle of August. But I'd say, you know, it's very possible it could be, you know, three weeks on either side of that. But that's about... um, you know, a good month earlier than we had previously expected. Um, but to your point, markets are not yet displaying any sort of sensitivity to that. It's very hard to sort of even squint and see anything. And I think it's just because the time is way too early, Mira. I mean, if you think about it right now, that would still leave us five and a, ho- five and a half months away from the X date, from this drop dead date for a potential technical default. And this will be the sort of earliest in the process that you would have ever seen stress. When we've seen the sort of most acute episodes, and even more recently when they've been less acute, markets have not started to really display any sensitivity until you get within about three months of that drop dead date. And that makes sense. Then you start to auction T-bills over the date in which you could be exposed to a technical default. And also that's the point where you understand a little bit better where you are in this debate. And even though we understand that the Democrats don't want to negotiate on the debt limit and that the Republicans are more hesitant to raise it, we don't know what either group is asking for, and I suspect we're not going to find that out for another couple of months because we know Congress has a bit of a tougher time, sort of, you know, multitasking, and will not take this up until they realize they have to. And I suspect that you're not going to learn more about this in earnest until we're probably in the, you know, early to middle part of the spring, sometime in April or May. Further from that, I think there still is some uncertainty over this drop dead date because, um, you know, a very big looming. Date that could sort of move our X date in either direction is the April individual income tax receipts date um, in the middle of April. Um, and I say that because, you know, we think there was a, a level of strength in tax receipts last year that came from capital gains um, tax um, receipts, but that's unlikely to be repeated this year considering how weakly all assets performed last year. And the question is, is if you're going to have capital losses to sort of take, will you take them this year or defer them over a number of years? So that's going to sort of help us refine our view a bit more. And I think it's that point, also legislatively, that you learn more about what's happening. And that's the point that markets may start to focus on it. But in between now and then, it's going to be much more macro factors that will probably determine what's happening at the very short end of the yield curve in the sectors that are traditionally sort of in the most focus around the sort of teeth of a debt ceiling debate. So I I think, Mira, you know, we spent plenty of time here talking about rates. Maybe we can just pivot back to currencies now um, and talk to you. I mean, you just asked me um, about considering, you know, what the risks bias are going forward and thinking about a major sort of um, event for the markets next week and and the employment report. You know, uh, again, consensus is looking for 200K in payrolls. You know, if we were to sort of get that sort of consensus type reading, how do you think the dollar behaves? And you know, conversely, you know, you talked about the risk scenario in which we see a significantly stronger number, something in the order of 300k or more in play payroll growth. How do you think that sort of affects the currency markets?
0: Yes. So for FX, I think it's important to keep in mind that U.S. rates are substantially repriced. Uh, you've got the terminal rate making new highs. Um, And um, the dollar just hasn't reacted in the same way as it has uh, as it did in 2022. In fact, we're about five to six percent weaker in trade-weighted terms compared to, um, you know, the highs that we saw back in November. And there's two very different reasons. Um, You know, the first one is uh, that we've been pounding the table on is growth. Um, That's been a very big sort of regime shift from 22 to 23, which is. Uh, also reflected in the China PMIs this week, which uh, really uh, were were quite robust. So the whole China reopening story, Europe avoiding a recession, U.S. recession risks um, lower uh, as well, given better U.S. data, I think overall is sort of painting a picture that actually, um, you know, the dollar can be weaker than um, uh, what it posted, you know, the kind of strength it posted last year, even with U.S. rates going up. And the second reason is, is the pace of Fed hikes. Um, I think there has been an underlying assumption here that uh, even though the Fed might have to hike uh, for longer and perhaps the terminal rate is higher, um, that the pace of those hikes are still uh, most likely going to you know, unfold in 25 basis point increments unlike, this, unlike the 75 basis point clips we got uh, last year. And that's admittedly still a baseline uh, as far as our economists are concerned. So um, if that is the underlying assumption that the Fed will keep going at 25 basis points and say our baseline of 200k in payrolls you know is realized um, you know for argument's sake um, you know three tenths and core I think um, if the growth environment stays unchanged and you know sort of in the absence of re-escalation in geopolitics I think if everything else is unchanged in that situation the dollar can potentially uh, or should be potentially turning weaker following the events in March because we have some sort of clarification and potentially stability uh, around the terminal rate, as you've pointed out, um, Jay, and then also you will still have the sort of the growth boost. So people are going to be looking for pro cyclical trades will be more uh, sort of sort of happier to re-engage on that front. And that kind of comes down to using, um, I think the preferred currencies there would be using either the Aussie dollar as a China reopening trade, or uh, potentially even yen longs, because uh, you know the Main pressure on yen in recent weeks has been U.S. yields. And if that starts to stabilize, then the BOJ can be played more keenly Uh, in, in that environment. I think in that environment, euro dollar should also strengthen because let's not forget the ECB is very much in play as well. And actually, the regional growth momentum in Europe is is doing pretty good as well. Now, the big game changer here, and as, as you noted yourself, is if you get that sort of 300K or larger uh, payrolls number and then, um you know for that reason, and perhaps, you know, depending on what the CPI number is at that point, uh, if the markets have to grapple with a higher odds of a 50 basis point hike, I mean, that's not part of our base case, but I would say that given the starting level for the dollar, um, you know, sort of being 5% below its prior highs, I think that does become, uh, that does become a regime shift in itself, and it sort of takes us back into the 2022 style dollar strength. And in those cases, you know, I would say that, you know, you would see that dollar strength more broadly, I would expect, you know, on the high beta side, um, probably Scandi's, the Canadian dollar, New Zealand dollar to be the ones that lag the most. So those would be sort of the preferred underweights. I think your dollar would weaken as well in that environment. And I think, frankly, the low yielders like Yen and Swiss will also be very much on the back foot. Now, Yen obviously depends on DOJ, which is the big elephant in the room. Let's not forget it's the same day as payrolls, uh, March 10th. So it's going to be a pretty, uh, big Uh, Big uh, Friday for FX markets next week, but I think in that environment FX carry baskets will end up doing pretty well as well, because the highest yielding complex of currencies is going to be way more resilient to US rates heading higher. Uh, compared to the low yielders like yen and Swissy. So, um, you know, that, that would sort of be where I would be, you know, concerned about sort of transitioning back into sort of 2022 style uh, dollar strength. So going into it, we are neutral on the dollar as well, because of how potent this event risk could be, but certainly uh, being quite tactical uh, around that.
1: Zooming out from the event risk and the tactical sort of view, what for you are the other ramifications of this sort of this increase that we've seen in interest rates across the DM? Um, you know, in the past, you've talked about, written about housing could be a differentiator within DM currencies. How do you think that's panning out right now?
0: That That is really an important offshoot and differentiator to consider when you're thinking about DM currency returns. Um, and, you know, What we've seen so far is that, look, housing markets, uh, housing everywhere, housing prices everywhere have fallen uh, or have at least uh, come off the boil uh, in all of DMS rates have gone up. It's just happened in different speeds. You know, if you kind of drill down into it, it's Sweden and and New Zealand where you've seen the largest year on year declines. Um, And these are central banks that are still hiking and potentially still will, you know, sort of keep their um, uh, foot on the pedal. Um, and I think uh, the issue here is that as the terminal rates are drifting higher across the board, that is a larger stress on, um, on the housing sectors. Now, why does that matter for currencies? Um, look, it matters because... Um, it determines how high, um, you know, how high that terminal rate can go. Because if the central bank is constrained because they're concerned about housing and consumption, um, then um, that that limits how much the terminal rates can go up. That means that currency um, can be used as a carry. Real yields can be highly negative. Uh, stocky is a prime example of that, where it's got the most negative real yields in all of G10, and uh, probably the second lowest, and you know, even if you take into account emerging markets. Um, you know, yet inflation is surprising to the upside uh, and the central bank, you know, there's limits to how much they can hike. So our economists are not really, uh, you know, are, are looking for more hikes, but, uh, but, you know, clearly this is going to be uh, a problem for that currency. And I would, I would sort of put New Zealand in that bucket as well. There are other countries um, like Canada, where um, it it looks like the debt services ratios, the monthly obligations on households are basically bumping up against two decade highs, uh, just like it is with Sweden as well. So clearly, these are the currencies that are going to be a lot more uh, affected as terminal rates continue to head higher. So uh, the ones that we are you know, sort of treating on the bearish side with this, I would I would sort of put in this order, it would be New Zealand, it would be Scandies, particularly Sweden, and um and i would put the canadian dollar um in that as well increasingly it's not really been an issue so far but uh, if we are talking about more hikes for the fed presumably that's translating into the bank of canada's um uh, you know sort of terminal rate pricing as well and then that starts to become a bit of a concern
1: thanks for that mira and now you know we've talked about near term event risk and you've kind of talked about the medium term impact but you know just i'm going to sort of pitch it back to you the same question that you've asked me um, the debt ceiling is certainly a medium term risk. And there's been a lot of work that you and your team have done on what it could mean for the dollar as this sort of debate goes on. You know, what can you say to me? Is there anything that you'd observe in the dollar right now that's showing any sort of risk of a more protracted debt ceiling debate, unlike what we see in the Treasury market?
0: Yeah, there's there's not that much, um, you know, I would echo the sentiment uh, with you, actually. There's not that much in terms of market pricing and focus as far as the debt ceiling is concerned. Uh, I think people are asking about it, but um, it's hard to position for this um, in effects. I mean, I, I suppose the easiest, uh, you know, sort of the cleanest way to position for this is probably um, through the T-bills that are most affected, as you've noted yourself. Uh, but I think for the dollar, what we broadly observed in the past in periods of political stress and and, and very idiosyncratic uh, sovereign stress, what we find within the reserve currency space is um, is that the dollar had, has a tendency to weaken worth versus other reserve currencies when these uh, stresses start to increase and intensify. So uh, what you would normally expect to have happen is uh, the dollar should be weakening versus, uh, say, the Japanese yen. Uh, Or the euro or the Swiss franc and and even gold. Um, Now, you know, given the timing around mid August, I think it very much depends, you know, which currency would you pick I would, you know, my personal bias would be to lean more in in favor of yen or Swissy because, you know, in particularly in the case of yen, you know, the BOJ is probably going to be more in play at that point as well and um you know unlike the euro where I, I suppose you do have the geopolitical concern and 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 perhaps more anxiety at that time of the year going into the winter months around you know how the gas prices are going to evolve uh but but the general theme there would be to position for dollar weakness versus other reserve currencies and i think we just have to be tactical around this closer to the event uh, rather than uh at this very point in time. So that's it for us. Uh, we'll stop there. Thanks very much, Jeff, for joining us. I think it was a very interesting discussion. Um, for more information, please take a look at jpmorganmarkets.com. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JPMorgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023 JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on March 3rd, 2023.